Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers faithful? It is Zay Nackfee back with Lemon Black with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone Know How to Podcast. And this one comes after a win. Win number one on the season against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Siri Heat, in the unfriendly confines of the pirate ship or new sombrero, whatever you want to call it, with Jimmy Garoppolo not playing his best game and the defense stepping up. There's a lot to unpack here, Levin, and I can't wait to talk about it all with you. Yeah, it's a, it's a different than normal season for us. We actually started off with a win, something that uh, the Niners haven't done really before uh, in recent seasons. So it's a different position to be in, actually talking about something positive. It is, and I want to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's just start right there, because obviously everybody is going to be talking about how he threw the the pick six, and and he didn't look particularly sharp. He did have the one touchdown pass, and he had two taken away by penalty. We'll get to that in a bit. However, remember is that, first of all, this was Jimmy's 12th career start, okay? He's been in the league for, you know, X amount of years, for, for four or five years uh, in this in his current capacity. However, you have to remember that he doesn't have a full body of work, and he's still a work in progress, very much a work in progress, and he still needs polish, and he still needs game game experience, and he still needs to be able to see live bullets coming at him after coming back from that injury. So I'm not making excuses here. I'm, I'm pointing out the obvious. These are facts. Now, did he play great? No. But did he almost lose the game for him, for the team? No, he didn't. I thought that on that pick six, what happened was, we'll start right there, actually. On the pick six, what happened was that he telegraphed that play. And I, and I tweeted this out. He telegraphed that play, stared his receiver down. And Tevin Coleman in the flat was basically kind of surprised that it, it even came to him. Because what, what the corner, what Hargrave saw, Vernon Hargrave saw, was that Tevin Coleman ran just a curl route. And when you have a running back out in the, in the split out like that, Hargrave sat on that route and broke on the ball knowing that Coleman would not go go deep and that it was going to be some sort of short, quick-hitting route. I believe it was right. second and 19 on that play, and the Niners were at their own 10-yard line. So to me, what should have happened there was, first of all, Jimmy should not have thrown it to that spot because everybody knows that a running back is most likely going to take a small, short pass and try to run with it. Um, that was not the spot to throw it to. The second thing... Once the play was called, like let's step, take it back one step and look at the down and distance, right? Like they just had a penalty the play before. Kyle Shanahan, in that instance, he has to be better with his play calls. Like you can't come on, man. Like right. it's second and 19. Like you've got a fourth round puncher in Wisnowski who's ball today. Like you run the ball, get however much yards you can, run the ball again, and just take your punt and flip field position. You cannot give it to the other team. You cannot risk giving it to the other team. Like what, what's apparent to me is Jimmy still has limitations. The pre-play thing of actually calling that play and, and the fact that he probably should have gone with something else and the actual play itself where Jimmy should not have thrown it. So I don't know, like that to me, that, I mean, it's not, it's Jimmy's fault, but it's not all his fault. I don't know if you feel the same way. Well, I, I think it was Jimmy just making a, uh, Bad decision. I don't think that there were reads to go through there. I think they went into that play with, we're going to look for to get a little bit of room so we're not punting from our own end zone. 
And if it's not there, don't try to go through your progressions and risk getting a sack. And I think that's backed up by, uh, I saw a video uh, of Kyle Shanahan screaming at uh, Jimmy Garoppolo on the sideline. And I believe it's right after that play because he only threw one interception. And if you read Kyle Shanahan's lips, what he said is just throw that bleeping ball away. So I think it's just a mental error. He's trying to do too much. They, they called a simple play call. It was only one read. If it's there, it's there. We get out of our end zone a little bit so we're not punting uh, from the end zone. And if it's not there, throw it away. Jimmy Garoppolo made the mistake of not throwing it away. He tried to do too much. Probably thought, hey, I can get it there fast enough. You know, a little, a little too much confidence there. He should have thrown it away. I think that's an error that's easy to correct. It's the type of error I expected. Uh, from Garoppolo coming back, uh, like you said, he still has a lot to, a lot of room to grow. He still hasn't even started a full season's worth of games. You know, like you mentioned, twelve games. So he's going to be making some uh, mistakes that you typically see in younger players. But you're going to see in Garoppolo just because he he sat behind Brady for so long, and then he's had some had injuries last year that cost him pretty much the whole season. Uh, hopefully, he works those out. It's the type of thing that we saw in preseason. Um, that he chalked up to just trying to do things because it's preseason. It looks like some of that was, in reality, things that he's not seen correctly, and he needs to correct those because that pick six could have really sunk the 49ers, and and they're, to be honest, quite lucky that didn't turn the tide playing on the road on the East Coast. That could have easily given the Bucks the confidence they needed to take off and just got, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily luck, but uh, the defense really stepped up and, and uh, helped cover up that mistake. Before we get to the defense, I, I want to talk about what Jimmy was throwing so much. Like he he finished the day eighteen or twenty seven for one hundred sixty six yards with the with that pick and and a touchdown as well. Part of the reason why more pressure was on Jimmy this game in particular was number one, it's his first game back. Number two, the running game was just not just not effective at all. Like they couldn't get anything going. Tevin Coleman got hurt. He has an ankle injury. The coaches think it's serious. He may be missing multiple games at this point and um, going to be a huge blow for this offense because he actually started today. But in, and Matt Breida came in and he had 15 carries for 37 yards. And, and as a unit, they only had 3.1 yards per carry for this game. So when you don't have your running game going and they're basically just, there's no, there's no, significant deep threat or number one receiver and they're just basically you know pinning pinning their ears back and going after jimmy it's gonna be hard it's gonna be hard to beat teams that are better now look it was it was really hot on on uh on that field it was really hot at game time and although it was later in the day it was still the the heat index was over 100 degrees with humidity so it's just it's one of those things where we don't know if Kyle just wanted to get out of this with just as min- minimal injuries, just get the win and get the heck out of there, move on to Cincinnati next week and, and just leave all this heat and humidity and all this stuff behind because we heard about how they were prepping for it at practice with the tents and everything. But I, I, we just don't know. We just don't know what their actual game plan was. And we don't know if they were trying to lean less on the running game because they know that, the offensive linemen would get more tired and the running backs would get more tired and they needed them in the past game. We just, we just don't know that. Right. And I think, uh, it's what we know of the Shanahan offense. You know, everybody sees him as this passing guru and in some ways he is, but even he will tell you that 
he has to get the run game going, and that's what uh, allows him to get the passing game to take off. That's what gives him the time to get those downfield plays that he or those intermediate routes that uh, his wide receivers run so often. And without that run game going, getting going and getting off the ground and being any kind of threat, the passing game was a lot tougher. And you and you saw that, but it, it wasn't just that the run game didn't get going. There were some concerns here. Part of that is the wide receivers were not getting separation, uh, and I do mean wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kittle seemed to get some separation, and he could have had a much bigger game if it wasn't for, for some penalties. Um, but the wide receivers, to me, didn't show up. Uh, they, they just didn't look good. There were some instances, uh, you know. You mentioned it on Twitter, and I kind of responded about uh, that Kendrick Bourne play where he seemed to cut the wrong way. Jimmy Garoppolo threw to the outside, which was the call. The safety is on the inside, mm-hmm. and ball cut inside, and the ball went nowhere. And that, that was right in the end zone. If Bourne had cut outside, there's a good chance that, that would have been a touchdown. Was it a wrong route by Bourne? Could have been. Could have also been Bourne had to read the safety, and he either cuts in if the safety's out, or cuts out if the safety's in and he read it wrong. Either way, it seems to be on uh, Bourne running the wrong way. But also just, it's not just on him, uh, other than really one play. One play where Ricky James got open deep, got the 39-yard touchdown, uh, which was the only passing game touchdown. That the wide receivers didn't do anything. Total, even including that 39-yard reception, they had seven total catches for 79 yards. But taking away that one play, which, yes, it was a very good play, but you take away the one reception that Richie James had, the other receivers, the Dante Pettis, who barely played in this game, don't really know the full story there, your Debo Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, and Marquise Goodwin, they combined for six catches for 40 yards. That, that's last year's production when they had all the injuries. So that unit specifically, to me, needs to step up to make the playoffs. What we saw week one, I think part of it was rust, and there is reason for optimism, but there are some significant concerns that if it's not just a week one hiccup and they don't improve, if the wide receivers play like they did all season in week one, they will not be good enough to be a playoff team. Uh, so that is something that I will certainly be looking forward in the future. And I hope at this point we don't have any answer of why Pettis didn't play. Certainly didn't seem capable of creating separation. Yeah, the wide receiver group now heard was hurt for this game, obviously. But uh, sorry, uh, they added Debo Samuel and and Jalen Hurd was was hurt for this game. But really, to me, like, how much can you count on a rookie wide receiver? Like, I, I, Debo's very talented. He made a great catch on that slant over the middle, and the fumble. I mean, that's you know, it's just a rookie mistake. I don't really. They won the game. It's 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 fine. He didn't cost him the game or anything. He'll he'll tighten that up, but. Really, it just comes down to impact players at that position. And as of now, as of going into week two of 2019, they don't have anybody at that position that's an impact player. And we knew this in the offseason, right? But then people are like, well, the question people will ask is like, well, who would you rather have had? What would you rather have gone with? Like overpay for Tyrell Williams or draft DK Metcalf, who's a headache and and slipped uh, to the Seahawks, who eventually drafted him and and it really, it, it, there's hindsight's twenty twenty, right? I'm not interested in talking about that. I'm interested in talking about the actual <laughs> current group, and the current group needs to step it up. All of them, they need to be better. 
Um, you mentioned Kendrick Bourne and how it's just, I, I, I like the guy. He brings a lot of energy. And, and when you see him interacting with his teammates, like everybody likes him. Right. And I think that's why everybody ha- likes him being around is because he brings that positivity and that energy. And he's a great team guy. However, it just seems like too many times he's just not on the same page as Jimmy is like Jimmy's first year in 2017, he was hitting born in stride with, with a bunch of passes that, that he was able to catch and run with. And he looked more looked good. But last year there was the pick six in Minnesota where Bourne ran the wrong route, fell down and, and the guy picked it off and, and took it for a touchdown. And then in the game against Tampa Bay this year, he, like you said, like Bourne was, you know, he was running towards the end zone, cut inside. And if he would have broke out towards the corner pylon, probably would have been wide open. And I'm not sure if Jimmy was expecting him to go there or if Bourne ran the wrong route or what, what it was, but it just seems like too, too often they're not on the same page. And to me that, and coupled with like the Dante Pettis mystery of like why he's benched and why he's not playing to me, it's like kind of weird. Like, I, I just don't understand why, what's going on. Like you traded up to get Dante Pettis last year. Right? He was your second round pick, and this was a guy that you were looking to really make a focal point in your offense and possibly be the number one receiver. And all of a sudden, like he can't get on the field. Like, and he's he's playing punt return in the preseason, and he's he's with all the reserves. I just don't understand what the deal is with him. So, anyways, long story short, like they need to be they need to be better. And I think that with as the season wears on, they will get better there were some throws that jimmy missed like he missed an easy one to born he missed one to goodwin as well that could have gone maybe for six and i think that those are small things that with time he'll be able to um rectify and 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 this group it, they're not scaring anybody like who like levin who's who is this group scaring who, what team in the league is gonna be scared of these guys nobody right yeah nobody i mean if tampa bay is not scared of you nobody will be tampa bay's defense is not uh, a very good unit. It, it's not necessarily the worst in the league. It's not a very good unit. Um, but there's no positives on the offense. They only had one three and out, which I was actually surprised when I went back and looked. They had one three and out, and that's with the wide receivers not showing up in the run game, not really doing much of anything. Uh, they had, you know, the running backs had 30 rushes for 100 yards total in the game. Um, so that is a positive. They also only gave up one sack, which was kind of surprising because. Everybody kind of assumed the offensive line was going to be much of the same as last year because it's the same people, that they would do a really good job of run blocking and be struggling in the pass blocking, and it was just the opposite. The the run blocking was not very good at all, but the pass blocking was good. Jimmy Garoppolo was only sacked once in this game, so there are positives going forward, but you are right. Wide receivers, they're not going to scare anybody, and a lot of it's going to be on Shanahan coming up with the right schemes and the right play calls to get them open. Cause it doesn't seem like there's that dynamic receiver on this roster who can get open on their own. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I really like Debo Samuel. Like I love his toughness and I, I think that he's going to be a really, really good player. Like kind of like, kind of like an Anquan Bolden light. However, when a guy's only his rookie year, you can only expect so much from him. Like my, re- my thoughts on the receivers are not a reflection of years will go. It's just a reflection of, what the current group stands at. Like it's, it's a reflection of the here and now, and who knows, like there may be a, a, one of these guys or multiple guys that step up and become really reliable go-to guys. Right. I think that it's, that's the case for most teams in the league, right? Like let's not single the 49ers out and be like, Oh, these guys need to get better. Like it's, it's week one. Like no, no team is going to be 
at their midseason form or playoff form in the first week of the season. It takes time to get there, especially with the way the preseason is and teams don't play their players. It's going to take time for these guys to build chemistry. So I'm not really worried. I'm just saying that they, they, I think they can and will perform better. And I hope they do. So um, really what it comes down to is, is that group needs to be better, but really, I honestly want to talk about the defense, man. Like I, I've been itching to talk about them this whole time a game from the defense today. They were great. This was the type of game that when it's coming down to the wire, that constantly you would see them lose last year. The defense would find a way to blow it. The offense would mess up and something would happen and they'd lose this game, but they held on two pick sixes. Richard Sherman was really good. Forget the penalties. I mean, he had his first interception and touchdown as a 49er. Akilah Witherspoon in his first touchdown as a 49er or in his career. Um, D4, Nick Bosa were just wrecking shop. It was so much fun to watch, man. And it's only game one. It was so much fun to watch. Yeah, it was about as great of a performance as anybody could have hoped for out of the defense in week one. You know, a lot of people were expecting this defense to rise and really become the better unit on the team, you know, become better than the offense and be a defense that truly had the potential to be, you know, top five in the league. And it certainly looks like they're on that path as of now. You know, they gave up 295 yards to a team playing at home that, 415 yards last year. That was third in the NFL. I don't think a lot of people realize uh, that, that even though Winston was inconsistent and threw some turnovers, the Tampa Bay offense last year was the third in the league. They had the third most yards, and they only allowed 295 yards, and they only allowed 10 points. Uh, they, they did especially well uh, in, the, in that secondary against Winston. You know, they had the three interceptions, like you mentioned, two of which went for touchdown, and they only allowed 4.6 yards per pass, which would be a league leading number most seasons. That that's a tremendous performance. Uh and I noticed particularly when, when it seemed like every single time Winston threw, even on the completions, there was a corner or a defender right there. Even if it got complete, somebody was right there. The coverage was really, really good, which is a little bit surprising because the secondary we've seen is the potential Achilles heel to this defense. But they played great and then obviously that Defensive line was everything as advertised. Uh, I think Bosa finished with three tackles, three quarterback hits, and, and a sack. And he also had quite a few near misses where, uh, you know, Winston, who's actually a pretty athletic quarterback, uh, if it was a more uh, traditional pocket passing quarterback, both of really had three sacks in this game. But uh, he really stepped up and Ford was there. But one sack Bosa did get, he should thank Ford for it because it was pressure by Ford that caused Winston to have to scramble around and gave Bulls at the time to get there. Uh, they had three sacks overall, which uh, would be a number that puts them at uh, about 48 for on pace for the season, which would be a great number. But they could have easily had five or six in this game. It was just a, a truly great performance by that defense, and I was especially happy to see free safety Tavarius Moore step up. He had that big breakup in the end zone when the game could have been slipping away from the 49ers. And he had, uh, I think he led the team in tackles as well. He really seems to have solidified himself at that safety position. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that this game kind of, I, I don't think we'll see Jimmy Ward back at safety. I think that <laughs> Quan Williams is great too. Like I mean, all, all of the, all of the corners and defensive backs were great. Jaquaski Tart. Um, had some really good pressure when he when he was blitzing. Um, I think that obviously Sherman is a consummate pro. You don't have to worry about him. But Witherspoon is is kind of growing up before our eyes here. 
and you're seeing him. He had a nice play at the end of the game to diving, a diving deflection to a break up a pass. And really what you're seeing here is, is the maturation of this group now finally. And they're kind of starting to all gel together because they're getting used to playing with each other. Um, and everybody's healthy finally. And it's just, they're finally getting the cards to fall in their favor. And what it comes down to is sure the guys up front will actually make the defensive backs look better. So the, all the credit goes to the defensive back defensive backfield should also be shared with the guys up front. And man, like the, the impact that D Ford had today and having him with Nick Bosa on the edge, they were constantly in the backfield. They were constantly pressuring Jameis Winston. In fact, the Witherspoon interception happened because Nick Bosa was right in Jameis Winston's face. Yep. And he, it, like, he, he, he had to force it, and he threw it to, right to Witherspoon. So really, all of that stuff, it's going to make them better. And the fact that they showed that they can actually close out a game like this and be the closers with the defensive team, with the defensive side of the ball, like, I think it's going to hold, hold really, really um, – it's going to bode well for them later on in the season. So when it comes down to it, like, I think that – their run defense wasn't wasn't great. Um, they were getting gashed up the middle, specifically in the second half. But we don't know how much of that was that was the heat itself and sub packages and things like that that they were forced to use because of the heat. Because at one point you had Solomon Thomas back outside where he shouldn't be, and you had uh, um, gosh, uh, you had uh, uh, DJ Jones and really. It, 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 we don't know. Again, like comes back to my main point. We don't know how how much the weather affected this game. So. I think that when you're looking at the defense, they had 15 points for you today. And that's huge. Anytime your defense, it's a bonus. And I said before the season started that the defense is going to win a few games for them this year. I hope it would, this wasn't one of them because this was a game that I, I thought they should have won anyways. But the defense specifically will win you a couple of games this year. And I think that they're much better than a lot of people are, a lot of people are thinking. So super excited to see that. Super excited to see where, what they can do and where they can go. Right, and, and that's without mention of Quan Alexander's suspension or ejection in the first quarter. You know how much mm-hmm. of that run game uh, deficiencies was because Quan Alexander wasn't there in the middle. Uh, that, you know that's something that you can't really right. tell at this point. You know, maybe at the end of the season we can say, well, you know, with him, the Niners did this, so it might be a mulligan. But it's also you know the run game that they gave up towards the end. A lot of that to me is the trade-off you get when you go to the wide nine alignment. You're going to have better running lanes when you go to that wide nine, and it's really on the linebackers to fill the correct gaps, which plays into Quan Alexander's ejection, hurting them. But it's also the fact, you know, the Niners were leading at that time. They had the lead, and Tampa Bay was going, you know, so they're playing against the pass. They have a lead. They're wanting to stop the pass. Let them have the run. You know, they, they were playing to stop the pass, and Tampa Bay was taking what was given to them. And, you know, they were doing well and, and getting yards and chunks there. You know, their their uh, second-year running back, Jones, really stepped up, it looked like, in this game. But it was also the fact that they were running when down. So I, th- I think that will be something to watch uh, in the next coming weeks because maybe the run game is allowed to kind of take off, and the trade-off is that no team's going to be able to pass against the 49ers, which it's a passing league. So it's a good trade-off, but it also could have just been a, a one game mulligan with Quan Alexander out and a team that's running when they're down. Yeah. Quan Alexander, I want to talk about that, that ejection for a second. And 
Jameis Winston went into like a, I don't know what it was, like a half slide, half like dive. And Quan Alexander went to hit him and ended up leading with his helmet and got, got ejected for that. So really like, I, I didn't think it warranted an ejection because I don't think he was maliciously trying to knock him out. It, it just seemed like they both like lower their heads incidentally and, and there was some contact. So I thought that it just warranted the 15 yard penalty, but like because he's a quarterback and all this stuff, they, they ejected him. I believe there's one later on in the game where uh, Mostert had the ball. He was, he it was, it was an outside run. He had the ball. He ran over a guy, but the guy had lowered his helmet and um, they gave, they gave the, the Buccaneer safety a, a penalty and didn't eject him, even though arguably it was worse than what, Quan Alexander did to Jameis Winston. So I think that there has to be more consistency with that rule. The other thing I, I, I want to say um, before we move on to, to game balls and player of the game is, is really, I, I really don't like it when officials become part of the game. And there were five touchdowns that were called back between the two teams. Like most games, you're lucky to see maybe one touchdown called back. Like it's it's very uncommon, and to see five touchdowns called back, mostly on ticky tack calls from both sides, it's just it's not fun as a fan. This is not fun. Like I, it's not fun to watch points being taken off the board and the team slogging out like a a, a seven six half like that they did in the first half. Like it's just it's not that's not fun to me. Like what's fun to me is is seeing teams execute and and make these plays and things like that. Like. The the first play, the first touchdown that was negated to Kittle on the the pick play from Juszczyk, Okay, I mean, like, yeah, by definition, that's you can't do that, right? But you see teams doing it all the time, and it's never called. And Seattle is really good at that, by the way. They're they're one of the the top offenders of that, and and it's rarely ever called on them. You know, it's just one of those things where, like, I, I it's it's so frustrating to me because not only does it change the complexion of a game, it also slows it down too because you're having to like watch these guys bring a touchdown back and respawn the ball. Now they got to call more plays. And now they're further from the end zone and like all these things. Like I love football, man, but I just hate it when officials can't get calls right and when there's no consistency. Like on the the Tevin Coleman run, the touchdown run, the touchdown that he had that was taken back, there was no hold on that play. Like literally, they called Richie James for a hold on that play. He didn't hold anybody. He literally made it. He had a crack block on somebody, and he basically made contact with them, and that was that was it. Like he put his, uh, you know, he put his arms up because like I didn't, I didn't hold anybody. That's what they threw the flag on. Like I just can't, I just can't believe how bad the the officials are at the professional level. Like I'm not, I'm not one to complain about officiating, but today it was just like from both sides. It was just, it was just really, really bad. Yeah, it, it uh, definitely started off uh, really bad, and I think it got a little bit better towards the end of the game. You know, maybe the refs uh, are rusty as well, but that was uh, that rushing touchdown that was taken back. I believe that was actually Mostert that had the the touchdown that was taken back, if I'm not mistaken, on the Richie James hold. But that play in particular, oh, uh, yeah, that's I, right. I was going to bring up uh, because the announcers of this game, uh, the color guy was Rondé Barber, obviously a you know Hall of Famer mm-hmm. out of Tampa Bay and a cornerback at that, and even he mm-hmm. on replay said, yeah, I don't know about that one. I don't see much there. So if you take a guy that's going to be as biased as possible, not only a guy that played for the team that benefited from the holding call, but also played the position that was supposedly held, and he says it's a bad call, that that's just a really bad call. Um, and then the, there was also the hold by uh, McGlinchey 
on, uh, I believe that might have been the Jimmy Garoppolo scramble that uh, made my heart skip a beat, but he would have gotten the first down. Yep. And <laughs> on replay, that there was no sign of any holding anywhere. Um, so it was definitely a uh, a bad game for the refs. And I guess the only thing you can say is uh, they were knocking off the refs too. There's not much else you can do about the refs. Uh, hopefully, as the rest of the season progresses, uh, it's not that bad. Yeah, I think that if the old adage is that you should play well enough so that the refs are not, not uh, going to be impacting the game. And I think that for the most part, the 49ers did. However, there are a couple of times where I feel like Kyle Shanahan mismanaged the game. And one of them was the the pick six earlier. I thought that that should have been a run play. Like you can't, you can't throw the ball from deep in your own end. And the second one was right before the half. Um, Kyle Shanahan, basically like they're running down the clock. They, they, kept getting penalized and they kept getting pushed back uh, further and further. And they had all three timeouts and the clock was running down to believe like it was believe below 15 seconds. He called a timeout. Um, they come out of the timeout. They throw a bubble screen to, to Debo. Debo runs about three yards down the sideline and fumbles it. And Tampa Bay recovers and half is over, right? This is when the Niners were down seven, six. And to me, like that was really, really puzzling. Like I was not happy with that play call just because they were well within Robbie, Robbie Gold's field goal range. They were well within. Uh, he's one of the most accurate kickers in the history of the NFL. You, you, you have to rely on that. And on a, in, in a, on a day when it's that hot and that humid and it's the first week of the season, you're, you're just trying to get a win and get out of there. You, every point counts. You have to be smart about that. And he did not make a smart call. And continuously he do he does these things he did these things last year too at the beginning of the season eventually he learned but he does these things right and it's really frustrating because it's like you know that's not i mean it's debo's fault because he fumbled it yeah that's fine but he should have never had the ball in his hands he needs to be better and last year he the same thing happened at the end of halves and games he was terrible at the beginning of the season calling plays he he didn't know when to pass the ball when to run the ball like that was another situation where and take a knee and call a timeout and kick it from that spot. It's just, it just didn't make any sense. And really like, I'm, I'm glad that they won the game, but that particular play, when you take a potential for points off the board by being foolish like that, like that's going to come back and bite you later on in the season against a better team. Like the Bucks are not a good team. I'm not surprised that they, that they ended up basically folding at, at the end of this game with Winston throwing a bunch of picks. That's what they are. That's who they are. They're a, a rebuilding team. And when you play like the Seattles and the Rams and the Pittsburghs of the league, this stuff is not going to fly. You have to be better coaching. You have to be better at that. So that's one little thing that I'm going to nitpick about Kyle and, and the game plan today. Otherwise, I don't care if they, they won ugly. I'd rather win ugly than lose pretty. That's just me. Yeah, and I will have to say that uh, I somewhat disagree uh, with your opinion there. Would I have passed there? No. But if they were passing down the field, I think it would be something worth being, you know, very upset about because it would be a really stupid decision in, in a scenario like that to try to pass down the field. But a wide receiver bubble screen at that point is essentially a rush. Uh, and I think at that point, the Niners weren't running the ball well at all. And on top of that, the wide receivers hadn't really done much into the game. They haven't really gotten going yet. You know, the Niners uh, hadn't really scored yet so they were i think in attempting okay do a safe bubble screen he's going to catch it because it's a bubble screen 
and maybe he can turn it into something, but whatever, we're getting the ball in our rookie's hands to try to get him jump-started because nothing's really happening offensively at this point. So I think, yeah, would I have made that play call? No. Do I think it's something to be really upset about? Uh, I, I don't really see it quite the same way you do in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like, upset about it. It's just one of those things where, like, I just, I, I wish it was different. Like, again, I don't care. The end result is what I care about. And they, the defense played beautifully in this game, and they locked it up, and the, the offense made just enough plays to win. So, really, it's just one of those small, little nitpicky things. But as I said earlier in a tweet, it's just so hard to analyze this game because there's so many mitigating factors here. Like, we don't know what impact the Heat had. We don't know what impact jimmy's progression had back from the injury and like how he was feeling and how he's seeing things and how he needs time to get back to the where he needs to be we don't know what impact the penalties and all that stuff had. we don't really don't know what impact all these things had right so really just one of those games where man it was an ugly win but i'm happy it's a win so with that being said um with this being your first year on the podcast actually i should let you know on the air actually (laughs) i should let you know that uh we give out game balls after every game, right? I'm putting you on the spot because I didn't tell you off the air. So you know that this here is going to be an honest answer. <laughs> so at the end of the, at the end of each game, we give out game balls, um, win or loss. And um, we kind of talk about the players that, that we thought uh, impacted the game the most or players that stood out to us. So with it being uh, your first game ball that you're giving out, I'm going to go first and <laughs> give you some time. To me, my game ball goes to the old vet, Richard Sherman. I know he got penalized a couple of times, but played he played really well in his first game back when he was fully healthy. Last year, he was batting, battling the Achilles injury and coming back from that, but he was fully healthy, had the pick six, had a really nice game. Uh, he did give up a touchdown to Godwin, but I mean, that's, that is neither here nor there. You know, like it, uh, he had the play at the end where he, to a, a textbook degree, guarded face guarded Mike Evans. Cause they changed that rule. Now you can face guard a guy without touching him. So you can do what Sherman did. And he knew the rule and he played it perfectly. They reviewed it. It wasn't passing interference. He got the interception. He got the pick six huge for him mentally and huge for the team. If you heard his comments after the game, he said he's, he's going to be like his old self. Right. And that's what I want. I want the loudmouth Richard Sherman. I want the Seattle Richard Sherman here in the Bay. That's, that's the type of player that I want leading this team. So Richard Sherman gets my week one game ball. Well, I would love to pick an offensive player just to, you know, have an offensive and a defensive opinion, but I re- there's nobody that stood out offensively. Everybody had their warts and, you know, some more than others, but nobody, in my opinion, offensively played well enough to deserve a game ball. Uh, so I, I do have to pick a defensive player, and the player I was actually thinking is Witherspoon, you know, to pick the other corner lined up opposite side of the field than uh, Sherman. Uh, Witherspoon really stepped up. It, this is uh, the game everybody that follows the 49ers, or I should say roots for the 49ers, hoped he would have. Uh, you know, he, he showed a lot of promise as a rookie. Certainly seemed like he had the upside of being a true shutdown corner. And then last year, his second season, it, the wheels kind of fell off. He did not have a good season. He eventually lost his starting job, uh, came into the offseason really not knowing what role he was going to have with the 49ers in the future. You know, that there was potential for him to completely get buried in the depth chart this offseason. And instead, 
He flipped the script. He went back to that dominant corner. He's looked in week one much better than he did even as a rookie. Uh, truly looks like the Niners might have one of the best duos in, at the cornerback position in the entire league. I'd have to give him the ball because he had a tough matchup in this game. Like you mentioned, there's Godwin and there's Evans. And it seemed like every single time he was targeted, he was right there. And he had a pick six as well. Uh, so I think his confidence is probably going to be sky high. Hopefully it goes to his head, which it seemed like it did last year. But I got to give him the game ball for him stepping up in, in week one. They were great, both of them, Sherman and Witherspoon. Really happy to see the pass rush where it is. Really happy that, let's be honest, like Jameis Winston's a turnover machine. He has, he's the only quarterback <laughs> to throw, I believe, more picks than Blake Bortles uh, since, since 2015. So, uh, we know that he was going to throw it to the, and they could have had a couple more like Quan Alexander drop one and, and Tarvius Moore dropped another. So uh, they're, they're, they'll be coming around. I think as the season wears on, um, they'll, they'll gel a bit more. Speaking of the season wearing on, we've got a game in Cincinnati. We're on a Cincinnati, like Bill Belichick's thing. We're on Cincinnati. So <laughs> at Cincinnati, the Niners are not coming home to the Bay area. They are staying Youngstown, Ohio at uh, the York's complex or they're in their hometown or whatever it is. And they will be um, making a, a, an old baseball type road trip out of this. It's gonna be it's gonna be a two week road trip. So Cincinnati today, to give you perspective, they um, or the, as of the recording of the show, they went up to Seattle and they were leading for most of that game. Actually, in the fourth quarter, they were winning, and they ended up losing by a point uh, to Seattle. And let's be honest, like it's not it's not easy to go up and win in Seattle, but. Andy Dalton had a really good day today. Um, they couldn't really run the ball, so they're throwing it a lot. But I'm kind of curious to see what happens. Like, A.J. Green, there's going to be no A.J. Green um, for this game for the Bengals. And this physical sort of hard-fought game in the heat, I'm kind of curious what they do. Um, really quick, Andy Dalton today, he was uh, a 30, 35-51 for 400, 418 yards and two touchdowns. When's the last time you heard anybody have a line like that against Seattle, by the way? Um, time, times are changing up there, but they couldn't run the ball. Um, I think they're struggling with that. Um, John Ross had a, had a really good day, so I think that he's, he's their main target. They're going to have to um, have bottle him up and, and Tyler Boyd as well. So they've got some good players on offense. Um, Joe Mixon, too, uh, the, the running back. But I think that with a good pass rush, Andy Dalton gets flustered. And what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to get the ball out of Andy Dalton's hands quick. Um, get the ball into uh, John Ross. They'll try to run the ball a little bit between the tackles. Uh, the Niners are a little bit light in the middle. And I think that um, at the end of the day, like you're not going to see a, a blowout, but you're going to see like a, another ball, ball control type of game. Cincinnati is not that type of team that has the explosive player without AJ Green. But um, really what it comes down to is that if they can harass Andy Dalton, and if the defense can kind of control this game and let the offense get caught up to speed a little bit, You'll see not necessarily like a high-scoring game, but you'll see one of those games where the defense can control and and, see, and, and Cincinnati's not really threatening. Yeah, I mean, let, let's be honest. The Bengals should have beaten Seattle. They dominated every single statistic except for two turnovers and the scoreboard. Obviously, they had uh, twenty-two touchdowns to twelve, or twenty-two first downs to twelve first downs for Seattle. I mean, they dominated. They they outgained them by almost two hundred yards, and. Uh, the one thing that's unknown as of this recording is Joe Mixon, as you mentioned. 
Uh, he's a very good young running back, but he also came down with an ankle injury and left in the third quarter. Uh, there's no report as of this recording of the severity and whether or not he'll play in week two. If he doesn't, it's the Giovanni Bernard show, and uh, it's likely to be a pass-happy offense. It's probably going to be that anyways against this Niners defensive front, um, but there are, as good as Cincinnati played in that game, one, they showed what type of team they are. They find ways to lose rather than ways to win, something the Niners Niners fans are all too familiar with. And then there's also, yes, they had a great passing day. You know, as you mentioned, Dalton had uh, 418 yards, but they did give up five sacks to the Seattle Seahawks defense. And that, to me, with this Niners defensive line trying to get after the quarterback in week one, is going to be the thing that kind of flips that script. It, it, it is more of a dangerous game than it seemed coming into the season. Because coming into the season, the Bengals certainly seemed like one of the worst teams in the league. But then they went into Seattle and, to be quite frank, dominated Seattle and should have easily won that game. So there's a little bit there of could Seattle actually be a better team than people are expecting. But like I said, they did give up five sacks. They did lose three fumbles. So there is that avenue that the Niners should be able to exploit. They should be able to get after Dalton. And they should be able to bring down the running backs because they didn't run the ball well at all. I think they had 14 rushes for 34 total yards. I mean, that's abysmal rushing game. And now there's, if Mixon plays, he'll be banged up and not 100%. Certainly seems like he won't play because he was ruled out of the game and almost immediately after the injury. Uh, but it is an ankle injury. So, you know, who knows if it's just a simple sprain and he can get in there and play it less than a hundred percent, but it's, a game the Niners need to win. It's Yes, it's early in the season, but we've talked in previous episodes about how the Niners have such a difficult schedule, particularly in the second half of the season. So they can't afford to lose these very winnable games against teams that are in the bottom half of the NFL in terms of talent. If they can win this game, what a start to the season. You know, 2-0 with two wins on the road. But they also can't drop this. You don't want to go back home one and one, having lost to a Cincinnati team that's frankly not very good. And you got Pittsburgh as well for the home opener, and I assume they'll be pretty pissed off uh, if they lose to Seattle next week. So I think that it's 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 not a must win game, but it's a game that they should win because, like you said, that on paper, the 49ers are the better team. And really what it comes down to is Buffalo and how he plays. And he, he played well enough. He was serviceable. Uh, he, he was serviceable. So I think he can play that similar type of game and still, and, and they can still squeak it out. But I, but I expect him to be better. I expect him to be more on the same page with a lot of his receivers and being able to eliminate the mistakes. Like the pick six was, was the, the only really big mistake he made today. Like he wasn't like, trying to throw it to the other team or anything like that or reckless with it. That was, that was really the biggest thing that he did. And I think he eliminated that, that like, and, and those touchdowns weren't called back by penalty. Like we would have been really happy with how he played. So it's, it's all in perspective. And I think that what they're going to do is get, try to at the same thing they did today, get the, or as of the recording of the show, I keep saying today, but um, they're going to try to get the ball out of his hands really quick. And they're going to try to, stop any sort of pressure that Cincinnati brings with extra guys by uh, like blitz beating sort of 
hitters that they can that they can use with these shifty the shifty receivers. Um, the defense, it's going to be more of the same from them, right? Like, I mean, they play the, the defense that they play is not they don't do a lot of disguising. It's pretty much what you see is what you get. So I think that uh, Nick Bosa may have a more prominent role. Like he he was eased into the game. He didn't play too much in the first quarter, but as the game wore on and, and progressed, he, he played a little bit more. I think you'll see him play even more, maybe even start. I think that uh, because of the way that they were able to show that they can ha- handle the heat and the the extreme temperatures today, it, it, it to the coaching staff, it probably puts a lot of uh, concerns to rest about durability and things like that. So I expect that. Um, as far as my prediction goes, I think the Niners win this game. I think they start 0-2, come home with the 2-0, or sorry, start 2-0, um, come home with the 2-0 record. And I think it's going to be uh, a 24-17 win for the Niners. Yeah, I could certainly see that. Uh, I do see the Niners winning this game as well. Uh, you know, week one was Quan Alexander's homecoming, revenge game, whatever you want to call it, uh, returning to Tampa Bay. This week, too, if you want to call it a certain game, it's the homecoming for Nick Boza because it's back into Ohio. You know, Cincinnati uh, is pretty close to the Ohio State campus over in Columbus. Um, so this is going to be probably a pretty large Boza contingent at this game. Some Ohio State fans might even be rooting for the 49ers. Who knows? But I do expect a big game out of Boza. This could be his announcement that he was very deserving of the number two overall pick. Uh, could have a multiple sack game after getting one in week one. But I think the Niners win a little bit more easily. Uh, I do think the defense should be able to dominate the Bengals offense. Um, and I think Cincinnati's only going to score 13 points in this game. And I think the offense is going to benefit from that. And I think the offense will score 31, same as they did in week one. Uh, maybe not so many points coming from the defense this time around, maybe a few more offensive touchdowns, but I think they do end up winning 31-14, return to that home game against Pittsburgh, 2-0, and riding high, and having the momentum to try to get that win against Pittsburgh in what would be the Terrell Owens game. That's right. He is getting, uh, he's going to be on hand. Um, and inducted in the 49ers Hall of Fame. And uh, fans that go to that game will get pom-poms and all that stuff too. So show up to that game, Niners fans. Show up to the home opener. I don't want to see a bunch of Pittsburgh Steelers fans waving their terrible towels. I don't want to see like a 50-50 split. I want to see minimal Pittsburgh fans. Like today, I was impressed with with the game. The, the amount of fans that showed up in Tampa Bay for that game was like split. It was like half 49ers fans. It was awesome. And I want to see... That sort of takeover on the road for, for Niners fans. And I want to see Levi standing become a fortress, right? None of this, like, all right, we're going to sell our tickets to opposing team. None of that, man. <laughs> Show up to the game, get your butt in the seat early, be loud, you know, make noise on defense, be quiet on offense, all that stuff. Just, just show up and do not let the other team's fans dominate the, the stadium. So I really hope that they come back 2-0. and I really hope that they can win in Cincinnati. Worst comes to worst, they, they got their first win against Tampa Bay, so they split. It's not a big deal, but they need as many wins in the first half of the schedule as possible. The first 10 weeks, they need as many wins as they can because the last six weeks are brutal, absolutely brutal. So any, any final thoughts before we uh, sign off, man? 
No, it's just good to be one and zero. One thing that uh, I guess I, I could mention as a final thought is the NFC West is uh, undefeated. Looks like the division is indeed on the uptick. Uh, you know, I, I say undefeated because they're not four and zero. They're three zero and one with the tie for Arizona. But uh, that's yeah, all tie, the yeah. more reason why. <laughs> that's all the more reason why the Niners need to get this win in Cincinnati and be two and zero because this division certainly seems like it, it's got quite a few good teams all right well there you have it man so uh let's see what happens next week hopefully the niners can come back from this road trip to and l and fully healthy no more big injuries looks like tavin coleman left the stadium in a walking boot today so um hopefully they can they can uh fill his uh, spot with with jeff wilson and and be not, not be missing a beat um but otherwise, we're looking forward to next week. We'll have another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle podcast for 11 Black. This is Zane Nackvi saying see you later.